Hello and welcome to the Forge Church Catch-Up Podcast. We're delighted that you've chosen to press play on this podcast today. My name is Johnny and I'm part of the teaching team here at the Forge. Each Sunday, our hope and prayer is to provide practical teaching directed by God that ties into everyday life. We hope that today's talk encourages you. So in 2016, the UN determined that access to the internet was a human right. Whether you consider yourself a digital native or, you know, the whole idea of streaming TV and smart devices just feels way beyond your understanding. The reality is digital is here to stay. And so we wanted to do a deep dive on one question, which was how do we approach digital as individuals, as Christians and as the church? And so I'm really delighted that we have Brady Shearer with us. Brady um, runs Pro Church Tools. He's based in Canada and is at the forefront of all things digital church. Um, Brady, thanks so much for your time. Could you introduce yourself? Let us know a little bit about who you are and what you do. Certainly. Well, thanks for having me, Finn. Excited to be here. Uh, always great when uh, countries within the Commonwealth can connect. I'm always <laughs> talking to Americans, you know. So Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so uh, like you said, my name is Brady Shearer. I live in Niagara-on-the-Lake in Canada. So perhaps you're familiar with the, uh, uh, with the Niagara Falls. That's kind of in this region. And uh, I have my degree in youth ministry and theology. I run a company called Pro Church Tools. Started that in my uh, third year of Bible college. When I was hired on at my church as the media director, we were a brand new startup church, church plant. And uh, my pastor kind of put a camera in my hand and said, okay, go, you're in charge of you know video, photo, design, branding, social. And I had no experience really, except for being a young person. You know, I'd done like one video for a course in high school or something, uh, but I was excited. I picked up everything as I was learning and I just started teaching everything that I was learning. So we launched our YouTube channel, our podcast, our blog. And then eventually that kind of turned into a full company. So we have a, a software product, just how we make money as a company called Nucleus. And a few thousand churches use that to build their websites, to run their social accounts, uh, to manage their online giving. Uh, but we stayed true to kind of what got us started as well. We're still releasing new free content every single week, YouTube, blog, podcast. And uh, we're a team of about 15 uh, full-time on staff now at the company. So, um, so my first question is this, we all have, you know, those friends, those family members who are this, so they're in the bracket, they just don't do social media, they hate using Zoom. So what do you think digital offers? What do you think they're missing out on by thinking that way? Access to information and the ability to share information is becoming easier and easier than it's ever been before. Just consider this back and forth right now between Finn and I, different continents, different time zones, and yet, it's like we're sitting across from this table that I'm at right now. And, and so another way we frame it is to consider the 168 hours in a given week. And for church, traditionally, maybe one of those hours on average, save for a global pandemic, is when we're meeting in person. And, you know, for centuries, we've had to gather like that and then wait until the next week to connect. Maybe there's a midweek service, maybe there's a small group, but basically we need to connect in person if we want to have any sort of relationship or any sort of connection at all. Well, now there are 167 hours beyond Sunday where we have the privilege, the privilege to connect with people and to share the good news of Jesus with them, no matter where they may be. You know, I think one of the core foundations of everything I believe about digital, to get this out of the way right now, is that I don't believe that online church and ministry should ever be a replacement for offline church and ministry. 
and you know the pandemic has made that clearer than ever, they're meant to work in harmony together. And so for those of us that aren't ready or willing to, to jump in to digital, I think uh, in most cases, that's, that's really just how we define digital. I mean, many of us would have email accounts where we receive information. You know, both of my uh, sets of grandparents who are in their 80s, you know, they'll email me um, if they're not sending letters because they know that email is a great way to connect and they use that to connect with their family or I'll FaceTime them, you know, or we watch uh, television. That's still digital media. Digital can become as simple or as complex as we want it to be. And so having a strong understanding for why we're using these platforms is, is first and foremost because a lot of us, we get into them because we think, well, everyone's doing it, so we have to. When you have a strong understanding for why it's important, it becomes that much more exciting to use them. That's so good. But on the flip side of this, um, digital has some negative connotations, um, one of which would be kind of the uh, addictive or kind of consuming nature of it at times. Um, why do you think digital life has such a consuming or addictive quality? My guess, because I wasn't alive at this time, my guess is that when motor vehicles first came out, uh, it was very similar to what we're experiencing with digital media right now, where there were a, a group of people that no matter how many benefits uh, motor vehicles had, were just comfortable sticking with what they knew. So that's, you know, the horse and buggies. Like, you know what, we like this, we're going to stick with this. And, and then slowly but surely, more and more people began using motor vehicles. And then my guess is that, uh, you know, whatever the documentary on Netflix of the time would have been, a report, a news report probably came out and was like, hey, here are all the negatives of motor vehicles. You know, and fast forward, we know how much they've contributed to like negative environmental effects uh, and car crashes, one of the most dangerous things that you can possibly be involved in. And yet, it's hard to imagine a world now where we could divest from motor vehicles because they've become so entrenched within culture that there are terrible, terrible, like millions of reasons why we should never use them whatsoever. But they're so useful and now just intrinsic in our everyday life that we can't truly divest from them. So what do we do? Well, we hopefully iterate and improve upon them. We're seeing that with electric cars, you know? And so what we see is like change takes a really long time. What we're, this is what's so important to remember about digital. Right now, digital is still so incredibly young. The oldest platforms are about 15 years old with Facebook public access hit in 2007. And, and so if you think about all of the digital platforms that exist in our life, that living without them would be hard to imagine. That being every social platform, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Google, Google Maps. And there have been very few, if any, times in human history where we've seen such pervasive platforms take over culture so quickly. Think about Facebook's age. It's adolescence. Now remember your own adolescence. You're kind of an adult. You're kind of a kid. It's incredibly awkward because you're figuring things out as you go. And so we don't really have truly established culture and accepted customs around these social platforms. And we don't know how dangerous that they're going to be over the course of a human's lifetime. Uh, we kind of have to make those decisions for ourselves because we don't have accepted customs in a cultural sense. And so a, a documentary comes out like The Social Dilemma that basically explains, if you haven't seen it, um, and I actually haven't seen it, I just know that this is public knowledge about algorithms, is that, hey, algorithms exist to dictate what you think and what you choose because it's profitable to do so. Uh, and uh, the unfortunate side effects of that is that when the whole world is using social all the time, now these decisions aren't just like, hey, it's trying to encourage you to buy this mattress instead of this mattress. 
We're talking about political outcomes. We're talking about how we believe about ethical things. I cannot imagine us going back like the motor vehicles. We're not going to remove digital. We're going to refine. We're going to evolve. We're going to establish more strong customs like we have with motor vehicles now where they are highly regulated because we know how dangerous they are. And so you and I need to be mindful of how we use it and how much we use it uh, because the subconscious pull by culture and by these algorithms will always be for more. Would you have any uh, suggestions for someone kind of feeling that issue? Certainly. So this is something I learned like in youth group growing up was just like the whole uh, garbage in, garbage out mentality. You know, that's classic church wisdom right there. So you have to monitor and take inventory of what inputs you have. So one practical way for this, uh, just consider what your social feed looks like. I have been hitting the mute button and the unfollow button more aggressively than I ever have in my entire life this year on social because we have a huge election coming up. Yes, I'm not American, but I can see it. It's right there. Uh, and it's just so pervasive in even world culture. Um, and combine that with the pandemic, things are a lot more polarized. We're seeing people act out of pocket way more than they would have in years prior because the just global anxiety and global pressures and tension are ramping up. And what happens when you feel that added tension or pressure, it's going to expose the things that are true about you already. It's an amplifier. It's an exaggerator. And so we're seeing a lot of the worst of humans because of these added pressures. And so for you as a human, you got to make sure that that's not compounding with what you're seeing on social, because there are certain emotions that the algorithm is going to pull out because it knows and it cares most that you spend as much time as possible on these platforms. Facebook wants you to spend seven minutes on the platform next time you're scrolling instead of six. Because the longer you spend on these platforms, the more ad revenue these platforms can earn. That's their monetization model. So the most powerful human emotion for making you just look at a post and hover and stew is outrage. You will spend more time on a post that upsets you than inspires you or that entertains you or that makes you feel all cute inside. So, you know, there's that old joke like, oh, Facebook's just for cute pets and stuff. It's like, no, not really, because you'll spend, let's say, 10 seconds on a cute pet. You'll spend 10 minutes just stewing over a post from an acquaintance who said something that you never could have thought or imagined they would say. And then you spend another 10 minutes putting out the perfectly articulated reply. Well, now you spent 27 minutes on the platform over one post that outraged you. And Facebook's like, we got him. We got her. This is good money for us. So you need to curate your feed intentionally. If you don't, the algorithm will do it for you. And the algorithm wants you to be angry all the time. So unfollow, mute. You don't need to unfriend people. You don't need to cause drama. Just get it out of your feed and then train the algorithm to do what you want it to do. If you don't tell it what to do, it will sink to the lowest common denominator, which is outrage and upsetting you. If you give it good information and good signals of what you want, it will listen. That's good. Um, Don't hover over anything that gets you angry. They are <laughs> tracking when you hover. That's very important to understand on social. Never hover over something you might think, I didn't like, I didn't comment, I didn't click. No, no, no. They track the hover time. You just got to scroll past, get to the pretty landscape of a place you can't travel to, look at some pictures of food. That won't corrode your soul in the same way anyway. So what do you think uh, kind of digital offers us as the church, as Christians? Well, what we talked about earlier, the biggest thing is it allows us to connect with those that are far from us. Uh, but then when it comes to what digital has to offer us, it's like, again, that 167 hours beyond Sunday service, the ability 
to influence and impact people with the good news of Jesus, whether or not they're connected to your local community, whether or not they're able to leave their bed, whether or not they're able to attend church because they travel, they're in the military for whatever reason. That is, an, a, tr- that is a tremendous privilege. We've talked about the negatives. What do you think digital church will look like in five years, 10 years time? My hope is that coming out of this and for the years ahead, we're able to have a place of balance where we know how important it is to meet offline together in person and nothing can replace that. But we're also leveraging these online tools because offline can also not replace online. You cannot connect with people save for digital if you are not in close proximity. It's literally impossible. So we need to leverage those tools. And what's great is when offline and offline are working together in harmony and they're not at odds with one another, you get something that you could not have when either of them are on their own. Mm. And so understanding what the strengths and weaknesses of each are and then Accenting the strengths while downplaying the weaknesses of each individually is how you create something special together. Mm. Would you have any rules or guidelines around digital usage or online communication that you'd suggest for us as Christians? Well, sure. I think that we could use just the fruit of the spirit or the Beatitudes as like the good indicators of whether or not what we're engaging with and consuming online through digital is leading us towards like life or leading us towards death. You know, one of the things, one of the ways I like to phrase it, you know, it's in the Lord's prayer, uh, you know, on earth as it is in heaven. I think with every action we take, we're either bringing more heaven to earth or more hell to earth. And so with what you consume online, you can go post by post. If you want to get extremely particular about this, just spend an hour on each social platform that you uh, are frequently on. And just go through and evaluate every single post that comes on your feed. Because remember, if you see it, it's because it's been tailor-made for you. Because you've chosen to follow that person or because the algorithm thinks you'd like it or a combination of the two. So go through each one and be like, does this bring like, uh, you know, does this bring life to me or does it bring death? And it doesn't have to be an over-spiritual thing. If you're entertained by something and it's not like gross, then that's, a gr- that's great. You know, we all love to laugh. We all love to, you know, be entertained by things that are good. So, you know, a lot of my feed you'll see is sports right now. If I'm thinking Instagram, it's sports. It's people I know, friends and family. And it's like beautiful landscapes because I love to, to, that's what I love. I love getting into nature, you know, taking photos, taking video, capturing God's great creation. And so anything beyond that, if it's frustrating me, I'm just like, nah, I don't need this. Nah, I don't need this. And the other important thing with this for me is like, it's so important to be locally invested in where you live. And and this is something one of my pastors has made very clear for me recently. So I can't take credit for this idea, but he's his theory, his hypothesis is that we are not meant to or able to carry opinions, thoughts, and emotional investment in all of the things that we're exposed to right now. So he used, you know, the, uh, the the riots in Minneapolis and the death murder of George Floyd as a great example. He's like, I see that and I feel immediately like I need to have a thought on this. I need to be emotionally invested in this. He's like, if, if, if I wasn't exposed to that, I would never feel that way. I would, I would have no idea what's happening in Minneapolis. Maybe I'd hear a news report on it over the radio or over TV, but it's likely that it wouldn't even be covered because there would be no action or reason for someone in Canada to care about that. And so 
his hypothesis is that right now our bandwidth is way overextended as we're being asked for our opinions and our emotions on all of these things that we can't, as humans, we don't have the capacity to carry all that. And so in lieu of that, he's like, you just need to be more invested locally. If you're carrying, if you're caring more about an issue that doesn't really affect you than you are about what's happening locally, then that might be a good litmus test, a good sign that things are not balanced or not weighted, prioritized as they should be. And what you get from that is a much healthier spot where you are actually able to care about what's happening locally because you're invested there as a person physically and relationally with your family, with your friends, with your acquaintances, with the business owners, with like the healthcare, with all the things that are local. And and that's a, a healthier place to be in. And it gives you the freedom when you see something that's happening far away from you to, uh, to just be like, Hey, you know what, that, that doesn't involve me. Um, and I don't have the capacity to have an opinion or to invest emotionally there. At least it gives you the freedom to pick and choose without guilt. And you are sure that your priorities are as they should be. If someone is um, interested in faith particularly, but also if they've just kind of got a passion around maybe a mission partnership, maybe it's a cause, maybe it's like you say, a local organization they want to get behind and they're thinking, okay, we've never really thought digitally about this. We're making our first step. What would your suggestion be as like the foundational starting off, jumping off point uh, for them to begin that? The key to success online is sustained effort over the long term. How can you connect with people and make their life better in whatever discipline that you are invested in over the next 10 years? The same way you'd help them in person, you have knowledge, you have expertise, you have, an, you have a way of communicating. If you're a church, just sharing the good news, the greatest story of all time. You have something that people will need and will benefit from. It doesn't matter if one, 10, 100, or 100,000, a million people are listening or will hear that. It shouldn't really change what your approach is to digital. So then the mentality you need to have is, am I willing to invest five, seven, really 10 years in doing this? And if in 10 years, I have a following of 3,000 people that truly care and truly I'm able to impact, is that enough? But I'll use a youth group analogy is probably the most popular youth group analogy you'll ever hear, which is when you're walking on the beach and there's all these starfish that have washed up on, well, you don't have the capacity to throw back every single starfish into the ocean, but the one that you pick up and throw back, well, you made a difference for that one. And you picked up another one, you made a difference for that one. Brady, this has been so insightful, so helpful. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks for everyone listening. I know I can be long-winded. It was great being with you all. Thank you. That's all for this week. Thanks once again for joining us. We'd love to keep the conversation going, so why not check out Forge Church UK on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram? Or go online at forgechurch.com where you can watch other content, find a next step, give financially, or see any details of what's currently going on in and around the fall. We're looking forward to you joining us next time.